Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Now you're very welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown. And a call here with you as always in the company of Alan Morrison. And of Juco James, as always, we're going to be looking ahead to Celtic's transfer window and some of the ingoings and outgoings mm-hmm. on this podcast. And we're also going to be looking back at Celtic's 2-0 win over Kilmarnock as they march on towards what should be a title by the end of the season. Still nine points ahead as we go into, I think it's 17 games left in the SPFL season. We also have League Cup and Scottish Cup stuff to come to further down the line as well. So it's a promising couple of months for Celtic ahead and that's what we're going to be touching on in this podcast what I do want to do is cast an eye back on to the last podcast before we move on to uh, the on-field action because there was a video of a discussion point that we had about Rio Hatate on this podcast that went out on our Twitter feed that mm, viral is probably a polite way of putting it and it went quite uh far and wide in the Celtic community and there was quite a lot of abuse and vitriol that was aimed towards it and we just wanted to address it. From my point of view, and I'll get Alan and James in on this now in a second, I was the one who put out the tweet, I was the one who does the video and I was the one who phrased it in the manner of, is Hitate good enough? From my point of view, that's probably not the best way to phrase what the discussion point was. Um, It was supposed to be a discussion point on Hitate's ceiling. Is he going to improve enough to be a European standard player? And the clip was, I think, a minute and a half long. That's all you can actually put out on Twitter unless you have a professional account now. So it's a very small snippet of the larger conversation that we had. And from my point of view, I probably didn't phrase it correctly. And that probably instigated a lot of the abuse that came our way. So that's my point of view from what went on. Uh, Alan, you were actually in the clip. It was your opinion. So I just want to get your point of view on this uh, because <laughs> yes. it was a quiet afternoon for you. As, as I recall, and I think I said it on the uh, podcast, all I literally did was repackage what James had said in slightly different language because I didn't know the question was coming and I hadn't really prepared for it. All that being said, and, 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 and you know, the serious point on Hitati uh, is because, you know, I hope people realise, you know, we don't just flippantly give binary opinions on players. There's always, I hope, context and nuance to the evaluation of, of every player. And, you know, I would certainly want to do a proper piece on, on Hitati. Um, now, how that turns out, I'm, I'm going to let sort of the, the data and my thoughts lead me on that. All, all I really want to add is that, you know, a lot of people who were dishing out abuse um, 
I suspect never looked at the clip. I've never seen our show and probably not interested in what we do. And that's absolutely fine because our, you know, this has always been, when I set up Celtic by numbers, I always knew this was going to be a very sort of niche concern. It wasn't, it wasn't going to be something that I, th I thought a lot of people or even many people would be particularly interested in. And I'm, you know, astounded and grateful that, that so many of you, you know, listen to the huddle, huddle breakdown. So, but all that being said, um, a lot of people who don't follow me or, or, or I, any of us or, or the huddle breakdown, you know, were, were very abusive. Um, and, and, and to be honest with you, you know, a lot of people who, as I say, are not interested in this. And that's absolutely fine. There's a lot of, the vast majority, I would imagine, of Celtic fans probably want to go to the game with their, their mums, their dads, their kids, whatever it is, their mates, go to the pub, to, you know, watch the game. Maybe come out, have a pint, talk about the football a little bit, and then go home and never, never think about XG or packing or all the bollocks that we talk about. And that is absolutely fine. No problem at all. I don't expect them to be interested. I don't expect them to care what my my or anyone's opinion is on, on Hitati. That's no problem. The, the only issue I have is that there were a small number of accounts Celtic, purportedly Celtic supporting accounts who've got a lot of followers that initiate these pylons. And most disappointing was the fact that there were a number of Celtic blogs and podcasters who, as far as I was concerned, we always had a cordial or, or even no relationship with, who probably have never watched this show, who were more than happy to use their influence to, uh, you know, to, to make that pylon worse. So to the people that were abusing as I say, I understand that I get it, no problem. But for those few individuals who have uh, responsibility because of the number of followers they have and because of the voice they have within the Celtic community, there was some absolutely appalling behaviour. I don't know where it came from, um, but they, I'm hoping that they'll re kind of reflect on, on that. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really all I want to say. Yeah, and just a final note from me. Um, one one thing that was definitely thrown at us was the uh, clickbaity nature or trying to do these mad opinions just to get clicks and to uh, earn money. Um, I would say to those people that you should probably do some research into podcasts and how much money there is to be made from these because I, I, can, tell you that, I can tell you this with a, a, a straight heart that there's absolutely no money to be made from running a Celtic podcast. This is something that we do in our spare time because we enjoy it. Uh, James, do you want to add a final point before we move on? Because I'm sure people want to hear about the game and about Celtic rather than us. Yeah, not much. I, I actually, you touched upon the one thing I was going to put is it, it's the, um, you know, I, I have a little bit more ex uh, experience than you two with uh, the, the Twitter mob. And um, so it's the intent aspect that that is probably my pet peeve meaning that you know to your point and uh, the the idea that i i think and you've, you've explained it this way i think you made a good faith mistake in how you characterized it uh you know i it was reasonable that a lot of people didn't take the time to put it in context i mean why would they um so when things go viral like that <clears throat> to the extent it did people were just gonna look at it quickly and you know, whatever. But the idea that you do this for clickbait—I mean, um, we're like the opposite of clickbait. You, you have to be a total dork to to sit through most of the crap that we put out, as Alan said. Um, and you know, there's been a couple of things because they're very, you know, relative to common narratives, a little bit heterodox. Um, so they 
tend to get more traction. Um, my, my, the two, you know, if we were, if we were clickbaiting, if you were into clickbait and the only two that I can remember, uh, were, were, you know, Alan, Alan, I don't know what's up with you. It tends to be what you do, not me, uh, was, was the John Joe Kenny, uh, and, and Ralston comparison that we did which, back, which was, a, which was a kind of humorous skit, actually. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It, it was more so, you know, maybe, you know, John Joe Kenny wasn't the worst fullback in the history of, of the universe. Um, and, and Ralston's probably better than a lot of people thought. And then um, this one, you know, that's it. Those are the two that have kind of gone a little bit uh, crazy. You know, so I, I, I just, I was more aggravated that at the people that impugned Allen's character and, uh, and intent and uh, yours and does because I'm I'm kind of used to it, um, so yeah, we're just here to have fun, share our opinions. You know, I the one thing I did say and I did a little thread on. I mean, the other part that aggravates me is there's almost like a troglodyte underpinning to it, meaning that the idea that Alan has spent thou literally thousands of hours capturing this data and reviewing game data and 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 game footage doesn't accumulate some knowledge and insight that other people don't have including enda and i is you know ridiculous uh so it doesn't and alan would be the first person i think to say it. it doesn't make him better or or superior or anything like that it's an issue of being informed and having a different perspective that's the point it's it's that's why we do this show is to try and bring a different perspective doesn't mean that we're always right doesn't mean that other people's analysis or opinions are invalid or unworthy of consideration. I mean, it, it's, you know, so that that's kind of the, the broader context that I came at it from, um, you know, so to, and I, I agree with that. I mean, the vast majority of people, I think, were just responding. And I, you know, that mm, that's yeah. not a big deal to me. That's your fault. So it's all my fault. I'll take. I, I will take. I will take ninety percent of the blame for this because I I did mischaracterize it not purposely, but. I mean, I've been working a day job. My brain was mushed. I tried to come up with a, a headline that uh, would be interesting to people and turned out it was. We still love wrong, you, Ender. Don't worry. <laughs> That's okay. Let's move on to the game at the weekend. Celtic won 2-0. And in the greatest irony of all ironies, Rio Hatate was man of the match. Oh uh, no, it was it was it was, so, it was better than that, right? So so Celtic were troll actually Celtic were trolling us. That's how famous and big we are, right? So oh, yeah. Celtic actually were trolling us. They had they had Rio Hatate as the uh, image on the team lineup, and then he was the stadium man of the match. And I, it was just brilliant. I mean, I, I, mean, I was laughing out loud. I was it, laughing. It was funny. It was amazing <laughs> stuff. It was amazing stuff. Yeah. Um, and then obviously you have the little shimmy video that goes viral of Rio Tate as well uh, from the yeah. weekend, which again, yeah. as you said, he's a man of beautiful moments and he produced a couple of beautiful moments at the weekend, he had a great uh, game. which we're he not going to complain about, yeah. by the way. We're not going to yeah, complain yeah. about. Uh, so this game, 2-0 uh, to Celtic, Jota with the opener, Kyogo with the second. <clears throat> uh, Celtic had about four or five different chances in the game, Jack and Marcus actually hit the crossbar twice in the second half. And uh, we'll start with the starting lineup because there was a couple of changes made to this team. Uh, Bernabe came in at left back. Moy started in the middle for O'Reilly, as we said in the podcast last week. It looked like he was a little bit physically and emotionally drained. So nice to see him get a rest when it was possible. And Jota came in on the right wing for Abada. The first thing that I want to throw to you, Alan, is just the consistency of the lineup this year. Yeah. Like it's actually quite impressive to uh, another extent to what Celtic are doing that they're currently nine points clear at the top of the table and I can't, re can't remember when we last had a consistent lineup that there wasn't something wrong with somebody at some point yeah yeah no I, I, and I think we've been certainly less 
prone to injury this season than last. So let's let's get that on the table for a start. So last season and and actually the season before horrendous season, you know, under under Lennon, you know, m- many things went wrong wrong for Neil Lennon, some of his own making, and, and many not. And let's be very fair about that. Um, uh, injuries were certainly one of those things. Last season, we were in a position where we were trying to integrate a lot of new players. We we're trying to integrate a very different way of playing, a very different way of not just playing, but more importantly, a different way of training. And that's crucial because the training is 90% of the week's effort and, and playing for most players, for, for actually for half the team, it's like 60 minutes. <laughs> the 60 minutes of running around and, and a bit of warm up and a bit of warm down. But the training is like the, the nine to five job, you know, Monday to Friday, etc. So the, the difference in the training probably had a massive impact uh, on, on Celtic. And so the, the number of injuries were huge. And, and then obviously the manager was trying to sort out from a squad that he inherited versus the players he brought in, who are the ones that I want, who are the ones that I trust. And we ended up last season in a situation where we were really, for the from January to the end of the season, we only used really 17 players that's a really small group of players that were gen you know there were others that came in and played the odd minute but it was 17 players that played the bulk of those minutes and that obviously started to have an, a bad impact on that. some individuals we saw Turnbull breakdown we saw Kyogo breakdown for example the, so this season it's very much much more um you know uh, Postacoglu's squad um there's only really probably and off the top of my head Bain Taylor McGregor Forrest I think it's Welsh, maybe that there aren't Postacoglu signings that are really part of the of the first team. That's actually quite a small number of people. So the the rest of the squad are people who he uh, has inherited. Uh, sorry, has, he's bought. Oh, and I know there's a few anomalies in there. Scales, McCarthy, probably being the most obvious ones in terms of. I think the club were trying to do him a favour in bolstering up the numbers at that point. But but long story short, he's had his own squad. And actually, this season, if you look at it. And I did a little bit of analysis on this. We're averaging about nearly four uh, lineup changes for every single game. Now, that's a lot. I mean, 2.4, 2.5 is about the league average. So 3.8 is, is, a, is high. Now, a lot of that was during the um, Champions League campaign. And, and a lot of jiggling went around those, those, um, those matches. You saw habitually four or five changes between a Champions League game and the next game. And even in the last couple of games, we've had three changes each, and that's really been due to new players coming in and and uh, you know players either being injured and what have you. So there's no one reason for this, but we have made a lot of changes. And I think you're right, Enda, mm. to say that we haven't had that continuity, but what I would say is we've at least had a team that the manager wanted to pick with the players that he wanted, and he's had a much wider set of players that he is comfortable and confident in to play. So, you know, we've got five wingers, essentially, so you can rotate those. We've got, like, four number eights that we can pretty much rotate. We, we, you know, we've got four centre-halves that we can rotate, and we've got two cent- two, two full-backs in each position, etc. So, and, and so we've got two strikers. So there's, there's enough bodies there that are players that the manager trusts that we can rotate. I think we've done that really well, and, and is what I'm saying mm-hmm. as, as a summary, and that, obviously, especially in the league, Clearly, we've only dropped, you know, whatever it is, five points, whilst maintaining a rotation and without burning anybody out. No one's got burnt by being overplayed. So I think hitherto and where we are today, that's a success. And I think with we'll come on to talk about the January transfer window. I think that will only continue. 
Mm-hmm. Well, as Mickey Beale said during the week, he continues on his absolute Mickey rampage Ricky. of media interviews. Uh, he was, Ange got lucky, you know, because he spent a lot of money and he's been able to bring in a lot of players. Aye. You know, uh, don't let facts get in the way of a good story. But uh, James, the question about this is for you is because I know you spoke a lot about injuries, especially soft tissue injuries and things like that last season. Um, do you look at this as a positive that we have the players that can come in and still get results? Um, or would would you lean towards more of a consistent lineup because of the consistency that it brings mm. in p- player relationships on the pitch to the system that they're supposed to be playing? Aspects like that. Yeah, I, I think um, there's a balance to strike. So there are, you know, there's always positives and negatives with these things. So I, I think what... Um, our ability to continue to perform at what's, you know, as far as what we can tell, man, that we don't have, uh, you know, some of the the metrics going back much further than uh, fourteen, fifteen, at kind of the earliest. Um, but the, you know, so this does incorporate the the invincible side. So that's kind of the the creme de la creme of of the modern era, let's call it the the data era, um, and that this team is performing at that level. Um, and that's that that team did not have anywhere near the competition from Rangers that this team does. Um, meaning, you know, I think Rangers were like 20 percent of our wage bill that that season. They had just, you know, achieved uh, uh, promotion. So um, it really is extraordinary how well this team is performing and the fact that we're able to do it with all of these changes. Um, I think that speaks to. Uh, I'll start with the positive side. I think the the positive is how dominant this iteration of Celtic is under Ange uh, uh, deploying his way of of playing against our domestic competition. Um, It's just remarkable. Um, I think what it also probably suggests is that with some small exceptions, there's not a lot, as I call it, you know, idiosyncratic right? So this is one of the things I've been saying is that you can kind of plug and play most of our players in the lineup and then domestically we're going to continue to dominate kind of at the levels that we are um and obviously there's a you know there's degrees of that you know if, if you went completely wholesale into and brought up some of the guys from the b team you know what i mean so it, there, there's some limitations to this but um you know no matter whether it's abada forest maeda jota haxabanovich there's a certain degree of of uh, dominance I think we're going to achieve just because of some of these structural issues. Um, so that's, you know, when, when you're talking about winning the league and dominating domestically, there's huge value to that. That makes us incredibly difficult to overcome as uh, the, the best team in, in the league. Um, so, you know, Mickey's got a tough job on his hands. Uh, mm-hmm. As a result of that, and as we continue to increase quality of depth and maybe add a little bit of idiosyncratic uh, player talent, then I think that's where you start to get that next jump up, which is, okay, now, and it, again, back to the context of the how we open the show, one of the things that I'm focused on almost all the time these days is, okay, how do we you know, get to that next level in Europe? Um, because... And this is purely from this is purely from a, a uh, an analytics dork perspective. You know, it, it's not all of that intellectually stimulating for me anyway to analyze how we beat Kilmarnock two nil, or uh, you know the the tenth time that we beat Motherwell four nil, right? 
So particularly under Ange, the, the, these are, I, I joke, it's almost like Billy Madison playing dodgeball in first grade, right? So th there's a degree of dominance here that's, um, you know, ma makes the, the details, the minutia of analyzing it, not all that intellectually stimulating for me. Other people are different. Again, this is my personal preference. So what I've James, 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 let's get to your year two or three of, of, of walking it before we go that far. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so, so, and that one of my problems is I think, you know, probably too much ahead. Um, and, and that's, you know, so that's where I've been focused on is, okay, how do we get to that next level in Europe? Right. Cause that's a hard, that's a really hard analytical is, challenge. Is. Um, there's a lot of room for debate and discussion about that kind of topic. Um, so that, that's the context that discussions like Hatate come about, and, you know, um, you know, a, a lot of different things, whether, whether Ange ball will translate with our, our wage bill playing in the champions league, uh, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's, um, I, <laughs> Yeah, and I think that the the game this past weekend was a perfect example of that is because, I mean, how many times do we have to see Derek McInnes line up man versus man against a Celtic team at Celtic Park that they completely run out of gas after 50 minutes and get, you know, leave acres of space wide open in the second half, right? I mean, I've seen this movie how many times now, and the guy keeps doing it. Um, so, you know. That that's there's only so many times you know I'm not I'm not doubting how Derek McInnes is going to line up now so there's not a whole lot mm -hmm. of like uh, shocking revelations to be had <laughs> from an analytical perspective, um, you know yeah with Mikel Martin managed by Derek McInnes. Well, this will come into our conversation about the transfer window, but Celtic already have the advantage of being a very well-funded club because of the years and years of success in the transfer window and turnover of players and things like that. But we're now seeing a well-planned Celtic uh, strategy within the transfer market that is going to make Celtic a very difficult club to contest against. Uh, even if you're Rangers, even if you're Aberdeen or Hibs, compared to the rest of the league, I think Celtic are a really dangerous animal in Angie's hands at the minute because it's a well, well-funded, well-planned club that the sky is really the limit domestically. I think Celtic are going to be quite dominant for a long time. It's just, it is about that step up to the next level, but we'll keep focused on the Kilmarnock game just for the time being, James, I won't, I won't uh, hold you on it too long because it was another start for Alistair Johnson at right back, Alan. And uh, he's coming in. He's going to be Juranovic's replacement. I think everyone has kind of come to terms with that. Um, what are you seeing that you're lacking from him? Yeah, so I think I think you you know I, I take James's point, but and and actually you know hit, hit the nail on the head in terms of where where some of our comments come from is is like you know what do we? It's not a lot of interesting things to say about dominating Motherwell, but. You know, you were trying to think, well, how will this player perform at the high level? That's really where some of this comes from. But coming back to the Kilmarnock game, Alistair Johnson just in the door. You know, he signed after the World Cup. He he had a bedding in period, so he was ready to be pitched in at Ibrox uh, on the second of January, playing in in quite an orthodox right back role in that game. And in that game, if you look at how he performed, he actually, um, I, I believe, he had. If you look at stats bomb and James James likes the on ball value metric, he had the highest on ball value passing metric 
in in the game at Ibrox of any bit of any player on either side, and that was whilst playing um, a very orthodox right back role. And by orthodox, I mean he didn't invert a lot, he didn't overlap a lot, he didn't he he, he pretty much stayed in his lane, if you like, in his station. He also had James Forrest in front of him, and you know James worked hard. He he actually played some interesting passes. Uh, especially infield, but he, he didn't really affect the game in the final third or get beyond his his, his man as as a wide player. Um, so 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 we were quite solid in that in that sense. And actually, we we, we also restricted Barisic to to creating one chance. Now Barisic and Tavernier are by far their most creative players, and most of the danger came from the other side, from the the right hand side. So you take so. With Johnson in that game, not only was he, I would say, efficient um, and effective, uh, which sounds like damning with faint praise. It's not meant to be. Um, he also, he also um, was effective because he he, avo- he he avoided danger. It's the absence of danger on that side that was a very telling about his contribution. Now let's go to the Kilmarnock game. We saw a very different performance from Alistair Johnson. So again. In both games against uh, against the Rangers at Ibrox and against Kamarik, he didn't have a direct wing opponent against him. Uh, the Rangers played very a very narrow front three and tried to funnel Celtic wide. Uh, Kilmarnock played with a back five, a sort of three in midfield and then a one and then a one. Uh, Robinson essentially was sacrificed to man Mark McGregor and then they had a striker. Um, so so he didn't have a direct opponent against Kilmarnock and the, and the Kilmarnock left wing back Cresine essentially as a defensive player, was never really going to challenge him defensively. So de- defensively, it was a very easy game for him. But so what he did was, uh, was he tried to affect the game through his movement. Uh, and if you look at his heat map from that game, it's quite extraordinary in terms of he pops up on the left wing, wide left, inside left, centre midfield outside the box, um, all sorts of positions that were just weird and wacky. Now, what was also interesting was the fact that he, he he never tried to do anything extravagant, let's call it, on the ball. He wasn't trying the killer pass. Now, on the other side, we had young Bernabe. Now, Bernabe is a player who's equally fascinating, but for different ways. Um, and, and the pass that Bernabe provided to Maida to set up that opening goal was a thing of absolute wonder because he, he literally took out the whole team with that pass. Right, mm-hmm. so we talk about packing. If you want to know what packing means, right? Bernabe took out nine players with that pass to Maeda, who then rolled it across the box, and either Kyogo or or Yota would have had a, would have had a tap in. So he also gave the ball away a tremendous number of times. But on the on the right hand side, we had we had Johnson, and Johnson didn't try ever even try the sort of pass that Bernabe attempted to to to, make, to create that goal. Nor did he try and take shots from 30 yards, even though he was often in position to do so. So he, he was a much safer, uh, much safer with the ball in what he was doing. But what what I think he was doing was he was trying to move the Kilmarnock players out of position. He was trying to take up positions to create overloads and to create moments where Celtic would have a numerical advantage in dangerous areas of the pitch. Very intelligent. So he, he wasn't giving the ball away a lot but he was trying to influence the shape of the game and trying to bend them out of shape with his movement. I thought it was a tremendously intelligent mm. performance. And in both games, what I also like, and where I think he's genuinely, I'm already calling it as an upgrade 
on Ralston and Juranovic. Uh, he's just a sheer physicality. He's just he's just strong. He's got a good core. He's bigger. He's five eleven. He's got um, a, he's got a confidence about his physicality. So I talk about physical intelligence. He knows how to hit somebody such that they get unbalanced and he stays balanced. That's the hockey. I mean, James will talk about this with more authority, but that, that's the hockey training. So know how to hit somebody so that you keep your balance and they don't. And he's got that. And so that physicality, that will make Celtic stronger in Europe defensively. Now, what I don't know, and I think we'll wait to see what happens, is whether he can um, affect the game at a higher level offensively. What I loved was his movement, his intent, his unselfishness. He didn't look like he was going to take a lot of chances himself. He was going to be safe in possession. But as I say, he did try and, and move them out of shape, and I really like that. So positive mm -hmm. for sure. And I think defensively, I'm going to call it as a bit of an upgrade. I know that's an, an, a small amount of data, but, you know, um, yeah, a, a very interesting player. On the physicality element, I think even just looking at him in comparison to Ralston and Juranovic, I know all, all of footballers at the club are going to be you know gym rats and physical and and athletic but i think you can even just see in his arms and his chest that he's he's an absolute rock if you even just have a look at the the picture in the thumbnail of this video you can see his sort of biceps bursting out of the jersey and things like that he does look uh like a real fast uh, specimen in terms of his his build and his ability that way um, and on his movement just one thing on that because Celtic did score uh, it was from Jota he crossed the ball into Kyogo who, who scored it was disallowed for offside if you look at the Kilmarnock defense before Moy played the ball over the top Jota was a mile offside but they're incredibly narrow and there's so much space for Jota at, at the right hand side and that comes from Johnson making a run inside and the whole defensive structure of Kilmarnock just shifted uh, over towards the right right back situation creating loads of space for Jota so um, glad well, I mean, you picked up on that as well. No, and that's just one thing I want to, for balance is that, you know, there's, there's a thing, you know, he's just playing for Celtic. He's only played two games. He's a young guy. Uh, does he have the confidence to um, take responsibility? And this is one of the points, of, you know, about coming back to Hitati is that, you know, O'Reilly has shown he can take responsibility. Maida is now taking responsibility. Hitati took responsibility on Saturday, but that was quite a new thing for him to have that confidence to take responsibility. Celtic had a massive issue on Saturday, uh, whatever day it was, in that they, they, were, they, were, they were even more left dominant than they normally are. And the right side was almost an oasis and Jota never got on the ball and Johnson and Jota weren't, weren't really connecting. And so that aspect of it is, shows that he's still got a long way to go because, you know, basically the first half was the story of Starfelt passing to Burnaby, passing to Hatati, passing to Starfelt, passing to Burnaby, and on and on it went. And that was the story of the first half, and it was it was awful. And we we know we just didn't get anywhere. We needed to vary it. We needed to to exploit that sort of movement. And of course, as as James said, you know they got tired. The spaces opened, and we and we did and we did the job that a squad of our size and and uh, ability should do against that opponent. But that mm -hmm. would be the other thing I would call out in terms of balancing what I've just said about Johnson is you know can he can he see that you know. We, we are being that that left side dominant. Can he then grab that game by the scruff of the neck and start to get Jota involved in the game and start to punish them on the right-hand side as well as, as the left? Yeah. Uh, there's a comment in from Bondi Got Game. Uh, loving the stream, 5 a.m. here in Sydney. Worth it. Um, I don't think we are worth it, but thank you very much for tuning in <laughs> at that time in the morning. Uh, glad to have you. Uh, James, I'll, I'll, one word on Johnston, and then I want to ask you about Maeda as well, because... 
he's on in, an incredible form at the minute. And I'm interested to get your opinion on whether that is a hot streak that comes from confidence from the World Cup, in your opinion, or is that sort of a leveling out of a consistent player who's been doing a lot of the good things and they just weren't really working out for him uh, previously? Yeah, I'll, I'll just say something quick on uh, Johnson and I'll address your Maeda question. So uh, the other thing I'll, I'll, I'll mention is, you know, in this uh, era of helicopter parenting, um, as they call it, I don't know if they call it that over in the UK, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, you've had kids that starting at a really young age focus on one sport more and more uh, in the last, mm -hmm. let's say, 10 or 15 years. And there's actually a fair amount of research that's coming out about um, cross-sport athletes and how they have, you know, uh, spatial intelligence that's superior to the ones that grow up just playing one sport. Um, and the reason why I mention that, you know, relative to Alan's comment on Johnson and his movement and his spatial intelligence, doesn't surprise me. He's a former hockey player, right? So growing up playing hockey, you get some of those kinds of um, – you know, diverse experiences and playing a different sport um, that, you know, again, I was never anywhere near any of these levels, but I played five different sports growing up. Um, and, you know, you learn different things from different sports and physicality and movement and how all these things kind of, you know, uh, interplay. So I just thought I'd mention that. Um, with Maeda, yeah, I, I think, you know, obviously confidence is important. And it's impossible to kind of quantify something like that. I don't think it can hurt. Um I, I think probably the biggest thing that shifted might be perception of him because of the World Cup. <laughs> Narrative might have tweaked a little bit. I, I think he's playing roughly the same, um, and he's had a couple of things come off, and maybe that is partly due to confidence. Um, who knows? Like that kind of thing's impossible to know. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm just happy to see the narrative kind of swing back on him because I, again, he's he's the kind of player that. Um, is really, really good at a few things and he works his tail off. And I think, it, you know, that there's uh, definitely a place for him, um, even in Europe, I think, because of, you know, that, that skill set that he has. Uh, and I think they sh did show that at the World Cup and, and some of the success, you know, Japan had in pressing that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I, he's just a fun guy to watch to him. And that's just the, you know, the non analytical part of it. Um, yeah. You know, so yeah, it, it's, James. It's, sorry, can I sorry, can I just button there? I, I'm going to disagree with you here because I, I do think he has um, his confidence. His confidence with him. I think he he now accepts his place in the team as being someone who feels that they've got the authority to influence the game. I've just very quickly looked. His expected scoring contribution up to November before the World Cup has doubled in the matches since. And I know it's a small sample; it's only four games, five games, but it's doubled. And I mean, who, who, when have we ever seen Maida run from the halfway line like he did against Hibernian and then take that shot on? We've never even seen that before. It's confidence. I do think he's, he's, he's had an enormous adrenaline shot of confidence. Um, I don't want to get in. I'm very nervous about getting into sort of racial stereotypes about the Japanese players. And so apologies if I stray into any territory that people may find offensive. But what I learned from reading about the Japanese players was around the sort of hierarchy within dressing rooms around the senior pros, etc. And, 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 and there's, you know, it's probably not, you know, if you look at Kyogo, Kyogo is the senior pro amongst the Japanese players in our dressing room. No one would ever question Kyogo's um, personal responsibility that he puts into his performance and his, and his willingness 
willingness to um, to, to push himself in a way that, that and, and the League Cup final being the perfect example of that he physically dragged that team you know to, to victory in the Cup final at Hamden, even though he was probably on the verge of breaking down with injury. Now, one of my not criticisms, one of my observations about Hatati is he's a young player, is he probably hasn't felt that authority. Matt O'Reilly did. He comes from a different culture, a different, a different um, mindset, if you like. I think Maeda now feels he has the authority to be more assertive in his play. And I think that's what we're seeing. Now, I'm sorry if that offends anybody or if that's oversimplifying it, but I'm just trying to give, give some kind of cultural context to what, mm-hmm. what, what we're seeing. And I think, I think Hatati's got, got that in him. I think Hatati's got that growth in him to also take that responsibility as well, I think it's it's maybe something he'll grow into. But I think we're seeing that with Maeda, and that's and it's brilliant because we want players to feel that they've got that mandate to take ownership for their performance and to really push themselves and say, right, you know what, I'm going to take this shot on. I'm going to burst into that space because because what Maeda was doing against um, Kilmarnock was he was he was doing what Jota has has been doing over the last year, which is he was up against the, the lad Mayo, who I think was a fine. Sort of physical, um, big, strong defender, you know, young player, and he went at him again and again. Now Mayo won a lot of those battles, but Maeda never gave up, and he kept going again. And we haven't seen that. We haven't seen that. Oh, do you know what? You beat me there. But I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to go again. I'm going to hit the ball past you. I'm going to go again because I'm going to back myself. And I don't think we've seen that um, so much from Maeda. And I think that was brilliant. And I just hope that continues. Yeah, and I think it's the end product from him as much as anything over the last couple of weeks that we're now seeing potential. I think the perception of Maeda was someone who worked, nobody ever questioned his work uh, his work ambition or workability and his pressing and never really giving up in the game and you know pressing the full game forward. But I think it was the end product and getting the ball into the box that might have frustrated people in the past, whereas now in the last two games at least we're seeing for example, the cross that went in for Jota's goal that was absolutely brilliant. There was a couple of crosses in last week's game as well that went straight across the six-yard box that nobody was able to get onto. And I think that's probably what's changing the perception of how he's playing. And hopefully it continues because if he keeps putting the ball into the right place, then Kyogo, Jota, Haksabanovic or whoever, uh, they're going to be on it. Um, So I think it's brilliant that he's playing this well and that the fans are starting to get behind them as well. A comment in for me in Fleming. It's a super chat, so I just want to say thank you for that. He says, hi, guys. Looking forward to the cup game after the Saturday result. Pretty confident of getting a result. Thanks very much. And then Paul Dayet, I'm not sure how to pronounce your name, uh, rightly points out who said that there's no money in Celtic podcasts. And so uh, I like that one. Um, (laughs) Let's move on to the transfer window because there's a lot of transfer chat going on at the minute. Uh, Some outgoings, potential outgoings. The rumor is that Juranovic is going to Monza in the Serie A. Monza currently sitting in 15th. Uh, £7 million is the rumoured fee for that deal. It's not confirmed, but that would be a £4.5 million profit if that were to go through. Uh, Giacomacchus, no shortage of suitors for Giacomacchus apparently, but the leaders in this race, according to the uh, people involved in these transfer rumours, is uh, URA Red Diamonds, who are said to be uh, in with a £8 million deal for Dranovic. That would be, or Giacomacchus, sorry, that would be a £6 million profit for him. And then Stephen Welsh is rumoured to be 
uh, out the door at Celtic to God knows who at this point. Udinese wanted him. Toulouse wanted him before as well. So, But Celtic are apparently open to offers for Stephen Welsh in this transfer window, which would make sense given the signing of Iwata, who is a midfielder, but is... You know, Ange has said that he can play multiple positions and Kobayashi as well coming in as a centre-back. Jens also has an option to make his loan deal permanent at the end of the season. So it would probably make sense that Stephen Welsh would leave Celtic in this window. And then incoming is uh, Gu Sung Cho, who is coming in from Korean Outfit. Uh, Jen Book, Hyundai Motors, whose uh, technical director is former Manchester United player Jisung Park. So he wants around three million to six million pounds for the South Korean striker. So a lot going on in the world of Celtic. Uh, we'll start with the Juranovic one because that's the one that's been going on for a long time. Celtic already have the replacement in the door. And I want to know from you guys, is that the reason that the fee and the ambition of the club he's going to is lower than we might have expected or is there some sort of clause here that we uh, don't know about? I'll, I'll question your premise. I think it's too early to tell. I, I think, uh, you know, we're at that point where until a deal is actually closed, um, you know, who leaks what to the media and what their motives are um, in order to try to negotiate things, I think is highly suspect. Um, so, I mean, it's kind of fun to speculate and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, until we see the, the actual destination. It, I mean, I, I what I would say is that the reporting has been pretty good, that it seems like both are very likely to go. And if you just kind of, you know, again, the fact that Johnston was a early um, uh, acquisition in the window suggests that, that that was probably in the pipeline and, and well-known at the club, I would be my guess. Although, I, you know, who knows, but I think that would be a reasonable speculation. Um, so, yeah, I... I, what, what I will say is that I, the transfer market is slowly getting more efficient, and we've talked about this a lot in the past, which is um, you know, the demographic of player value is shifting down. And this again, this is not this was predictable, I would argue, because of what's taken place in other sports that have started to kind of ascend the, uh, the analytics curve. Um, so you know, both of those players are older within kind of the modern, analytical construct right so got once you get up into that 27 28 range the likelihood that they're going to have really any appreciable sale on value after acquisition means that you're basically just looking at okay what performance am i going to get out of this player and what am i willing to pay for it right so that that means you know that's different than if you're buying someone who's 21 and you think oh in three or four years i can sell them for 20 million right that's different than buying Juranovic at 27 and saying, okay, probably in a year or two, his value might even be lower than he is now. Um, so, it, you know, I know it's not exciting, but thinking about things in terms of net present value calculations, um, <laughs> that kind of thing is is um, what, you know, the smarter clubs are starting to do in, in thinking about how they're, you know, doing a better job at, at uh, player trading models. So, um you know, that that's why when I wrote some stuff back in August, it was like, you know, if you can get 10 to 15 million for either one of these guys, that's that's a big number, probably as as, you know, the markets are developing. Um, uh, and, and as I've said this before, I think it's also uh, worthwhile to consider who the counterparty is. Um, so, you know, I've said before about smart buyers, i.e. Brentford bought Iyer 
you know, normally when you're talking about two parties, you know, it's the old saying, if you're at the poker table and you can't identify who the sucker is, <laughs> it's probably yourself. And I've been in that situation uh, more than once in my life. Um, you know, Toulouse is a smart buyer. So the fact that they're interested in Welsh, you know, the fact that Alan and I have, I think, agreed that he's got a lot of specific aspects to his play that uh, maybe could be really beneficial in a league that's not as aerial as Scotland, for example. Um, you know, so I think counterparty is important. So I, I, I think, you know, uh, the, the Japanese club going after Jackamacus from my, what I've looked at, they're not all that smart as far as how they're run. They're more of a throwback club. Um, so if we can, you know, sell for a bigger number to so-called uh, dumb money, <laughs> that's mm -hmm. usually a good thing. Uh, whereas if your counterparty is a smarter club, then, you know, maybe you can tilt the odds as far as who's getting the better deal in, in uh, kind of the value proposition. So my, my hope is that both of them go to teams that aren't as smart. That would be to me indicative that we're getting a better value in uh, whatever the market is going to afford. Yeah. Well, well, here's the thing, Alan, uh, I'm not an expert in any of this and there's far more thinking in these transfers than the average fan will probably give credit to, but on face value, um, in the summer, Juranovic was linked with <clears throat> Chelsea. He was linked with Atletico Madrid. And he went on in the winter to play pretty much every game for Croatia at the World Cup, who got to the semi-final. He played in the semi-final, and he played quite well in at the World Cup. I just don't see the thinking behind this now being a mid-table Serie A club coming in with a seven million pound deal for him, even though he is 28, he has four years left in his contract. Celtic hold the bargaining chips at the table. I just don't, it doesn't make sense to me really. No, no, I, I, I'm not sure there is a lot of sense in that. It, it, you know, agents uh, and other parties play a lot of silly games, frankly. So, um, you know, um, I, I, I don't know what to make of that. I think, you know, as you said, there was a lot of seriously large clubs and, and and seriously stupid clubs. As I say, I mentioned Chelsea, Barcelona, another stupid club uh, linked with him. So that, you know, I, I, let's wait and see. I mean, what, what I would say is that um, there was no plan, as I understood it, to buy another right back. Therefore, the fact that we bought Johnston was out with planning for this window, which means he will be going. It's a question of time and just, we just need to play it out. The fact that Johnson started at Ibrox and started at home to Kilmarnock and just not a complicated person when it comes to things like this tells you everything you need to know about where, where we stand. And Juranovic at the moment is is basically uh, um, playing the Ralston role. <laughs> he's the backup to, yeah. to Johnston uh, until until Ralston is fit uh, because he's he's got one foot out the door and that's that's how, how that plays out we don't we don't know. Um, with Stephen Welsh, I think it's a, simply a case of, I think, I believe the manager likes him. He, he sees a player in him. But obviously Welsh is, what is he now, 23, 22, 23 years old. And clearly he's got his own ambitions and, you know, he's not playing. Um, Starfelt and Carter Vickers are the preferred option. A new centre-back, which was always on the cards, was brought in during, this, during the window. He's specifically a left-sided centre-back. And I think it's just simply a case of one of those situations where, you know the player wants to, you know, be playing 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 football, and fair play to him. And uh, I hope he, I hope, I hope he actually goes somewhere where he's 
going to be like a Toulouse, where he's probably going to be nurtured. Uh, and, and I think, you know, Stephen Welsh in a, in a non-aerially dominant league, will, I think will be a really intelligent and, and a really good centre-half. And I hope he, he, he becomes Scotland's centre-half for years to come. So that's just one of those sort of parting of the ways, I think, that, that happens in football. Jack is, I think, again, it, it, it's a lot of his agent-driven. The guy's 28 years old. You know, he was seen to have a good season last season. Now that Kyogo's fully fit, um, well, James might disagree with fully, but that he's, he's fit um, and playing, and he's clearly the first choice. Um, my understanding was that we wanted to bring in another forward to make three forwards, because obviously the way Kyogo plays, the intensity he plays at, the number of times he gets kicked up in the air, you know, we can't, we can't guarantee he's going to see out a season. Giacomacchus is a great squad player to have every time he's come in. I think he's 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 been very effective. He's great for the system that we play. But again, he's 28 years old. You know, in terms of his own personal capital, based on the back of last season, if you look at it from an agent perspective, SPFL joint top scorer, you know, play, scored a goal in the Champions League, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the, the, and he probably feels slightly undervalued. I think he's on about 11 grand a week. They probably feel they can they can get and perhaps double that somewhere. To be honest with you, you know, a, a Turkey or a Greece or somewhere like that. There might be a club that that will, that will literally double your wages. And which one of us who's either on this podcast or watching uh, wouldn't listen to uh, that kind of offer? You'd be lying to yourself if you didn't at least look at it. So, listen again. That might be one of those situations. And as Ange has always said, you know, don't don't get too fond of these players because you know we need to start up trading. And, and and if we're going to uptrade, then if we get good money for a 27, 20-year-old squad player that isn't mission critical, I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of okay with that. You know, not that not that I'm not fond of these players, but it just it's business. At the end of the day, it's business. And Celtic are in the business of building a Champions League team. That's the reality of it. And to do that, you're going to have to be really ruthless. You're going to have to up the volume of trade, and you have to up the revenue that you get from trade to be able to afford the players that you need to upskill at that level. So um, I think it will happen, um, but because, you know, it, there's just too much noise to think otherwise. Um, how much we'll get from again, I, 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 I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, I think there's a little bit of trading to go in this transfer window for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Andrew Martin says that Anthony Joseph agrees that the Monza thing is a no-go. I think Anthony Joseph is quite a strong source when it comes to things, um, so I tend to, to lean heavily on, on what he would say about this. Uh, Tony Cassidy also with the update from Fabrizio today on the incoming or supposed incoming replacement for Jack Amakis, and that is South Korea's Cho Gun Sung. Uh, he has three proposals on the table according to Fabrizio Romano. Celtic have made a three million bid with 50% on future sale up to 6 million, uh, while Minnesota uh, in the MLS have made an offer of 5 million plus 30% on future sales. So a couple, a bit of competition there. Mines are apparently in for him as well, but he would be Giacomacchus' replacement because he looks like a big physical striker, essentially. Well, um, like, have either uh, of like, you looked at him? So like, so just quickly on that one. So like I say, I, my understanding was we were going to bring in a third site striker anyway. So if Giacomacchus leaves and Joe comes in, don't rule out there being another striker to come in the okay. door. And that, that might be more of a project type player. Now, the interest in Cho uh, started before the World Cup. Now, 
again, it's easy to sort of we look at Celtic and you look at transfer dealings. And you can you can decide if things don't go the way the supporters want it, who's to blame? And we th- we throw right up your app. That was always a risky strategy because Cho was clearly going to play in the World Cup. Nobody knew how that was going to go. Okay, so Celtic had in in principle a deal agreed before the World Cup. He played in the World Cup. He, he did very well. And, and suddenly the parameters change. That's football. That's just life. Okay. And so the, the, the fact is that this transfer, if you think about this transfer in relation to all the other transfers that Celtic have undertaken in the last, since Ange was in the door, they've generally been done very quietly and very quickly. To, to, well, as far as we know, right? There's probably lots of things that go on behind the scenes. This transfer has dragged on and on and on and on and on. So two things on that. One is the fact that we're still interested tells you a lot because you know I, I, you know Ange would walk away from a deal uh, if it wasn't somebody that you could look in the eyes and say you know you want to play here etc so the fact that we're still in the game after all that's gone on it's dragged on literally for months now it tells you that Celtic are really keen on this guy but on the other hand you know we have to be prepared to walk away if it isn't if it isn't a deal to, uh, you know to, to Celtic's advantage we just have to ex- accept that these things uh, these things do happen yeah, and he could be a potential bad influence in the dressing room, you know, Alan, because oh, a, a Rangers players, part, well, a so, Rangers yeah. player, you know, you know, Chinese <laughs> players don't get on with Korean players, so that means you know, Kyogo, Maeda, Hatate, they're not going to get on. I with saw, them, yeah. I saw a Chinese takeaway in Glasgow once. Uh, I don't know if I told you that. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you'll no. hate it. Uh, if, if you haven't seen, if you don't know what I'm referencing, uh, just. Look it up on Twitter because it's a hilarious clip from if you think we're uh, bad guys on the other hell. side. Doing that. <laughs> uh, so, James, uh, have you looked at Cho in terms of his demographic and what he's going to bring? I have not yet, no. So I have yeah. absolutely nothing to offer on that regard. I'm pretty sure people have. So if you want to go and, and look for uh, some uh, info on him, I think I'm pretty sure he he is similar enough to Jackamacus in that he's a big physical presence and a box presence striker as opposed to all over the place, sort of like Kyogo. So, yeah, um, I'll, I, I, can add, I can add two conceptual things. The first thing is I think it's interesting to note who else is in on him and um, the ascension of the MLS into, um, you know, more global relevance in the transfer market is, is kind of just breaking out the last couple of years. Uh, so I suspect that is going to be um, an increasing issue for, for teams like Celtic, as far as from a financial resource perspective, meaning that Minnesota is by far, you know, they're, they're not exactly a uh, top financially resourced MLS club. Um, so, if, you know, we're competing with them. I, th- I think that gives you an idea. I mean, the likes of LAFC and even Atlanta, and, you know, there, there are some teams that will spend even more money. Um so uh, that that's going to be a, a, a an issue going forward. Um, is it? My point is, it's just getting more competitive. Uh, so we, we have to be even smarter th- than we otherwise would be because of that competition. The the other thing is that, and again, this is going to go over like a, as I joke, like a wet fart at Christmas dinner. Um, I, I think this whole how they did at the World Cup thing is a pretty big um, cultural issue relative to player value i mean i'm not saying there's no impact to uh you know i'm not saying about perception like there will still be again those dumb money participants in uh, in the transfer market that are still there like and you know the ones mentioned atletico barcelona chelsea they have not been the best clubs as far as doing their transfer business um and you know 
where a person's you know born and or uh where their parents or grandparents were born is a huge part of that <laughs> uh i mean that that's determined who they're going to play for um and it's a couple of games it's a few games and and the transferability of that and just kind of normal variance i mean it so again, is it worth considering and how you're evaluating a player? Of course it is. But the idea that you're going to take someone like Juranovic, who's been a professional for, what, seven years now, seven seasons, and distill his value down to th- you know a few games in the World Cup is just kind of you know silly. Um, so again, you don't disregard it, but relative to the weighting of like how good this player is, I, and, and what they're actually worth, I, I think it's much smaller than is it probably should be much smaller um, and that smarter clubs would probably approach it that way. Yeah, I agree to an extent because I know that um, scouts know about these players and watch these players all the time, regardless of what they're playing in. But in the same way that the Champions League is a shop window, the World Cup is also a shop window that comes around. And I think the perception of it is based in a large chunk of reality, is that people will look at the uh, Juranovic situation where he's playing in Scotland week in, week out, dominating as a right back, top right back in the country, and they'll say, okay, but it's only Scotland. What can he do at a higher level? And then you get the Champions League, you get the World Cup. The, the same thing happened to Christopher Eyer, the Nor- uh, he's Norwegian, Norwegian, correct? Yeah. Norwegian yep. yeah. So he, the Norwegian under-23 manager said that he wasn't getting challenged enough at club level to warrant a call-up to the Norwegian under-23 squad. So I think that's where the perception of the World Cup being a market for smaller clubs, I use the term small, uh, with a a strong accent uh, uh, for Celtic. Celtic are a huge club, but they're playing in a a smaller league. So I, I don't think it's a shop window for bigger clubs like Man United or Real Madrid or whatever. They're not looking for players. But players like Juranovic, who play in, in the Scottish League, going to the World Cup and playing alongside better players at a higher level, I think that's when it does actually, you know, hold some water when it comes to the transfer value. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I, again, I think I, my, my point is more so it probably holds more than it should for some parties. Yeah, so uh, when I'm relatively the, waiting what, what it would be, I think... You know, it's it's probably overstated. I Man, of course, you know, wait how he did in the Champions League, how he did in Europa League, how he did in all the, you know, how he did at, at Croatia and all these other tournaments, right? So you've got all of this information, and yeah. to say, hey, it was just these four games or five games or I forget how many they ended up playing, but, um, you know, that that's more my broader point. Mm-hmm. So, so and just just on on show then. So one one more thing I wanted to add is that I, f- I follow this. Uh, I say analyst, but he calls himself a philosopher. <laughs> called he's a Dutch guy called uh, Just van der Leij, and uh, he works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've Fitch come across his work amongst yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, right. So, I, and I, I've got listen, listen. I, I am totally agnostic. I don't have a view as to the efficacy, accuracy. This guy has built, in partnership with others, I guess, a football behavioural model which completely rejects expected goals as a viable metric. Use Bayesian statistical theory, which James can explain to us far better than I, because I'm not a statistician, um, to to come up with a method to 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 come up with a concept of essentially replacement value and replacement value from the perspective of both parties. So. 
Celtic sell Juranovic. Celtic, Celtic have got Juranovic. How much would it cost Celtic to replace Juranovic with a player of equal ability? Now, because Celtic play in a much lower value league, it will cost less than it would a Chelsea to replace an Aspilicueta, let's say, right? And then if you sell as, as if you sell Juranovic to Chelsea, how much would it cost on the day that Juranovic walks in the door as now a Chelsea player? What's the replacement value to Chelsea of of, of buying another Juranovic, right? So, 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 so this is this is the, and I've, I've oversimplified this probably quite a lot, and it's very interesting the model, and I, and I retweet some of his stuff when he talks about Celtic players because I just find it interesting. I'm not agreeing, disagreeing, or whatever. I just find it interesting. His particular take on Cho was that Cho was a player that it would cost around about three million for um, his Hyundai Motors club to um, replace, but it would cost if Celtic were to buy a player. Of his ability, it would cost Celtic around thirteen and a half million to, to to buy a player of that ability. Therefore, he's under hugely undervalued, and therefore it would be a, a terrific piece of business where Celtic to buy this player. Now, if it was me and I was you know in charge of Celtic recruitment, I would take that information and I would probably take at least two more different methodologies and sources for evaluating player value based on different models different methodologies and I would look across of those sort of things but anyway I just throw that in I'm not saying it's right I'm not saying it's it's or what have you um interested in James's thoughts on it but uh, especially but yeah I just thought I'd, I'd, I'd throw that in there yeah I I've seen his stuff I I've looked at it a little bit I I, lo- I love uh the heterodox uh especially when it comes to analytics because you know you y- when you chop off the tails, you get the conformity. Everyone's doing the same thing. And then, you know, in yeah, so the tails, you get the total whack. Right? It's interesting. Yeah, you, you get the total yeah. whack jobs that are out of their minds. And you get those that are actually onto something that's really cool and brilliant. And I haven't yeah. I haven't decided on this, on what he's doing yet. No. Um, it is very either. interesting. <laughs> yeah, not not that I'm some, you know, um, grand poobah of the, the determining these things by any means. But yeah, I haven't quite gotten my arms around what he's doing. Um, no. Uh, and, and that's just uh, part of it is I just haven't put the time into it. And, and part of it is I can't find, I don't know where's, you know, the degree with which he's documented in white papers and that kind of thing. So there's a sliding scale of my interest and in, <laughs> tolerance for, for digging on. Um, but it, it's definitely interesting. Like I, I um, the, the idea that he's coming at it from a nonconformist uh, perspective is, is really fascinating. Um, yep. So. Yeah, Agreed. I, I, I always I don't follow him, but I see his work regularly and I, I, I always pay attention out of curiosity I'll, more than anything else. I'll give my opinion. On it. I think it's total bollocks, to be honest. He <laughs> <laughs> um, clearly puts a lot of work into it and that's fine. And he wants to do it. That, that's completely fine. But I think the problem with this outside of the box thinking is that nobody in football thinks like this. So he's completely intellectual. He literally works over, for football clubs, unlike yeah, us. But he's, yeah, he's, I, I, believe, I fully believe he's over intellectualizing things uh, that football no, clubs there's a good do, point. Not, do, do not do. But <laughs> because there are so many people in football, and uh, whether we enjoy it or we don't enjoy it, and I know you guys want more clubs to become more modernized when it comes to the use of data. There are so many clubs in the world at the highest possible level that don't do it. And I think he's over-intellectualizing something that uh, the football clubs themselves aren't considering. You know, I know he does work for certain football clubs that might do it, but the majority of football clubs 
aren't doing what he's doing. In my belief, I'm not behind the closed doors. They might be, but I, I believe there's far more people who are football people who look at things from a linear perspective. Is he a good player? Is he a good lad? Okay, what's he worth? Can we afford him? And that's the thinking that goes into football transfers, in my personal opinion, but I could be yeah, wrong. That, that. I was just saying that that's right. I don't, you know, so I'm with, I hear what you're saying. But actually, I know we're running out of time, right? But you, you touched on something which I've been thinking about, which is the, the over-intellectualization of football. You might think this is rich, possibly coming from me, not that I would ever claim to be an intellectual, but I think... That- is an interesting debate to be had about the over-intellectualization of football analysis because it's something I see. I mean, I do follow a lot of people that do this sort of stuff and I, I sort of think, wow, <laughs> it's like at the end of the day, it's a game of football. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it is. Yeah. It's it's quite ironic that we do we are talking about this because I would say a lot of people think that we're over-intellectualizing football. But well, the reason well, <laughs> and you, you guys have – the original concept of this was – two stats guys and one football guy and let's throw them all together into a pot to see how it works and it might come up with some quirky uh, opinions here and there. But you guys have sort of brought me over to the world of stats and I believe most football clubs have do rely on this data, rely heavily on GPS data, rely heavily on underlying numbers when it comes to monitoring performance. A large amount of it is probably scientific based in terms of injuries and things like that, but I believe it has a place in the world of football, whereas there are certain things where I just like, oh, just give it a rest. Like it's, it's you know, they scored a lovely goal. Can we not just talk? <laughs> yeah, about for that, for know? for the vast majority of people, this is I don't even get into the ninety nine percent of this stuff. Like so, this is why I say it, it, people conflate stats with analytics, yep. right? Yep. Conversations about Bayesian statistics versus non Bayesian, or whether a system is ergodic or non ergodic, right? The vast majority of people have never even heard of those terms. Um, and nor should they, right? Unless it's absolutely, you know, part of their, their, uh, profession or their, their hobbyists and, and, in some sort. So, um, you know, the, <laughs> just because you have a number and a bunch of numbers, you know, it's, it's like if, if, um, if numbers and stats were all it was every accountant would be a billionaire, right? So there's, there's a level of work that needs to be done that's analytics driven, that's completely different. And that's why, mm. I, you know, we don't even talk about that degree because it's boring as shit to almost everybody unless you're into that kind of stuff. Um, you know, it'd be like talking to my wife about biochemistry or, you know, T cells versus B cells. You know, I have zero interest in it. Why would I? It's a level. She's a doctor, by the way. So, you know, it's like, forget about it. So, mm. yeah, but, you know, depending on who's doing the analytic, like if you're doing the analytics at a big club, those are the kind of questions you probably should be open to at least being able to be conversant about. It's not just about XG. It's like, cause otherwise you, this is the, the inherent problem with analytics is there's all kinds of problems with data quality and modeling. Modeling is inherently garbage in garbage out. So these people that just take models and apply them as if everything's linear, everything's mean regressing, everything's all this other stuff. That's not how the world actually works. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's that's why you get the global financial crisis in 08, because a lot of these very supposedly smart people follow really bad models. If so we can leave just, one term. Sorry, can I just jump in? Like, McNolan88, three non-Scottish people talking about Scottish football. Why do people keep thinking I'm not Scottish? I was born in Falkirk. <laughs> so, so sod off <laughs> of that. <laughs> I'm 100% Scottish. Yeah. <laughs> 
Anyway, yeah, that, yeah, it's yeah. not really. Uh, it's uh, I, I didn't know whether to address that or not. Uh, what yeah. I was going to say, just to finish off, if we can leave one football phrase or football analytics phrase in 2022, I want it to be scanning because that is creeping into the vocabulary <laughs> and vernacular of people, and it's bollocks. It is absolute bollocks to analyze someone's analyzing on the pitch because every fucking footballer scans everybody does it from a young age you were taught look before the ball comes to you <laughs> what are your options and adjust your body shape accordingly it's it's a very simple thing yes there are players that do it better than others but for god's sake i i just want to leave that in 2022 because that's the biggest load of nonsense that started creeping into football uh, analysis, you. Um, in, in my opinion <laughs> I think that's where we'll park it. An hour, seven minutes. I think that's probably long enough for a Celtic podcast by three guys that a lot of the internet hated last week. So, um, Alan James, anything to add before we finish up? I'm done. No, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lovely stuff. Uh, thanks very much to everybody who watched and to listen who listened. And if you want to get the podcast, it is available in the usual places: Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. And very kind words as well in the comments as well. We didn't address the situation to get kind comments but we do appreciate uh, appreciate them regardless and we appreciate everybody who watches or listens every week whether you agree disagree like or dislike us um we really do appreciate it as well so that is the huddle breakdown for this week we'll be back again with another analysis of celtic against kilmarnock this time in the scottish league cup so until then we'll chat to you later good luck time to play the game Time to play the game! <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the game, and how you play it. All about control, and if you can take it. All about your death, and if you can play it. It's all about pain, and who's gonna make it? I am the game, you don't wanna play me I am control, no way you can shake me I am heavy debt, no way you can pay me I am the pain, and I know you can't take me Look over your shoulder, ready to run Like a Cleveland bitch from a smoking gun I am the game, and I may do So move on out, you can die like a fool Try to figure out what my mood's gonna be Come on over, son, no, I don't dread me don't you forget there's a price you can pay Cause I am the game and I want to play